Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. And guess what? What? We are going to be talking about something very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to start off this episode. We are talking about religious trauma today. And I, I do want to just right off the bat start off by saying that we are not, for lack of a better word, demonizing all religion no or all religious people i understand that a lot of people find a lot of comfort in religion i also know that it is very like deeply culturally meaningful yes for a lot of people so i don't want it to come across as if we are being preachy gosh how many religious puns am i gonna do (sighs) i know for real i'm like "Mm, we're kind of doing the opposite (laughs) of we're like uh, the two sides of the same coin here yeah i mean I, i have my notes starting by saying that there are so many positive aspects of religion and I think that the greatest thing that religion gives people is a sense of security but I think that whenever we are given any sort of hierarchy or authoritarian system there's always going to be a chance for that to be abused and mistreated and so I think that while there are so many people who have only had very positive experiences with, with religion, I'm also very glad that people are questioning how they grew up, questioning what their early beliefs were and things like that, and realizing that a lot of what they've learned is also damaging to them. And I think that being, if you're going to be a religious person, I think that it's important to see how these things can be damaging to ensure that you are living the type of religious life or spiritual life that you want to live. You know what I mean? I think that, especially being Catholic, I think that it's important to not disregard the abuses that have happened and things like that. I think if you're going to be a Catholic, part of that is owning up to what the institution has done and moving forward and things like that. Sure. I mean, I think if you feel comfortable within your religious community and within your family dynamic and your household questioning your religion, then you are probably far better off than most people who experience religious trauma. Because I think a big part of religious trauma for me and a lot of others is that feeling that you cannot question um, your belief system and that fear and panic that goes along with questioning anything that keeps you locked into a system that's unhealthy. Exactly. Well, and we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, a lot more, but I just kind of want to generally say that what you just said, for me, that fear really came from a fear of hell. Yes. Um, I didn't have a lot of fear from, you know, my parents or loved ones necessarily pressure to stay in a religion or anything like that. But I had this, I had a real fear of like being possessed when I was younger or anything. And so I was just like, if I go against what I'm taught, I felt like I was leaving myself open for pain. And that was really scary to me. So the second I started to second guess certain things that were taught to me, I would chastise myself because I didn't yes. want to, I didn't want to be bad, first of all. Yes. And I didn't want to burn in hell for the, all of eternity. Yeah, it's, I mean, that is all traumatic. Like, I mean, it is, it's truly, that is 
a traumatic experience for people to have because so many religions and we will say, you know, I think most people have listened to us for a long time now. Um, but if you're new, welcome. Madigan comes from a Catholic background. I come from a very like evangelical Christian background. So that's, that's our personal experience. Right. right? And I understand that religious trauma can occur on any number within any number of, of religions. Right. Right, Exactly. When talking about Christian backgrounds specifically, so much of it is fear and pain based. Yeah. Fear of the rapture and times. Yeah. Or or fear of hell. Like truly, because the way I, I grew up initially going to Baptist churches and there's a reason why they say like fire and brimstone preachers, right? right? Because it's like they stand on the Pope pulpit and they say things like you are going to spend an eternity burning in excruciating agony in hell. And can I just say really quick, does that seem like justice for any punishment for like, I mean, except for like the serial killers and like the worst of the worst people. I can't think of any like normal sin. It's justifying being burned forever. Yeah. I mean, and we will talk about it because I did write some notes about this and about how um, this concept leads to trauma and difficulty later in life and as an adult, especially with like trust, trusting other people, trusting yourself. Right. But it is that whole concept of like, if you don't live your life this particular way, you will burn in hell for all of eternity is incongruous with the other things that we are told, which is that God is a loving God. God is your father. God will always take care of you, will always love you, you know, all of those things. And then it's juxtaposed with, but do everything right or God will send you to the fiery pits of hell for the rest of Yeah, hey, eternity. as long as you behave, you and God, you're good. You're besties. Right. But you do one thing wrong. <laughs> it, it really messes with your critical thinking it does. skills because then you start thinking like, okay, but that doesn't make sense. Yes. But questioning that, that that doesn't make sense sends you into a spiral panic. Exactly. Right? So, well, and that's like one of the symptoms of religious trauma is having confused thoughts or reduced ability to think critically and that's because I in my belief you've been given these answers your whole life if you've had a question there is some sort of biblical answer for you and suddenly thinking that you don't know the answer would give you a sort of lack of trust within yourself and a lack of knowing what's truly right and wrong to you authentically yeah you've been gaslit as well like just just what i just said is like you have been gaslit your whole life into saying like this this doesn't make sense and them saying no it does yeah it does the problem is with you the problem is with your understanding of this and not the thing itself right yeah so that does it makes you second guess absolutely everything so i do want to start off by saying a lot of people think that religious trauma either one doesn't actually exist right or two if it does exist that it's not real trauma and shouldn't be labeled as trauma and I think that's because when a lot of people hear about trauma what they're thinking about is shock trauma right like something happens to you like one thing one really bad event event, right happens to you and that creates a shock to your nervous system and it can result in things like 
post-traumatic stress disorder, flashbacks, nightmares, avoidance, hypervigilance, those types of things. And that's not to say that that does not happen of with course. religious trauma because it does. Yeah. Because there's so much abuse and stuff um, within churches because of the control element. Right. And I think that that also is along the lines of when we're talking about events of physical abuse, sexual right. abuse, like when you can pinpoint certain events but go on. Right. So, I mean, that is a shock trauma. And I think that that's what a lot of people would recognize as quote unquote real trauma. But then there's another type of trauma that's known as developmental or complex trauma. Right. And sadly, this kind of trauma, it's not even recognized in like the DSM, but most therapists will acknowledge and and believe that this is Well, and I think that it makes a lot of sense because when we go to therapy and we talk about our childhoods or things like that, a lot of times we are trying to re-digest information that we couldn't take in as a child, which would then be brought in as as trauma potentially, you know, just like how, you know, I I think about still dealing with things with my dad and stuff like that. When you're young, these things affect you, but you don't have the language or understanding to be able to kind of like heal yourself through that process so sometimes it takes until you're older and then if you're part of an institution or a relationship or a family that lasts for a long number of years you're prolonging that trauma and I think a lot of times a lot of it is unconscious absolutely and then it isn't yeah. until you leave that you're like oh that was kind of fucked up. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So many forms of religious trauma are not associated with specific events, but instead accumulate over a long period of time through harmful messaging um, enforced in the community. We see this a lot with like LGBTQ members of religious organizations. Um, They grew up in conservative religious communities. And so they believe something really terrible about their core identity, that their core identity is sinful or evil and this creates over time complex trauma that they will then have to deal with um and then there's also this understanding that if you go against your religion um that you are putting not only your relationship with god at risk but also your relationship with your family with your community at risk and so um it does create this anxiety yeah um there's just so many symptoms that play into this. So religious trauma, it is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes sense that it would be a thing. It doesn't have to be one awful event that happened to you in a church. It can be uh, a lot of things piled on top of each other that have affected you as an adult trying to move through life and yeah. navigate through life and figure out what you actually believe in. Yeah. It's so hard. <laughs> it is. One thing that really rang true to me when I was doing a lot of my research was talking about growing up in an authoritarian environment. Yes. And I don't think I've ever really thought about it that way, yeah. but there is such a distinct hierarchy within the church and um, speaking for myself and my own Catholic experience, you know, we've got, you know, the Pope, the Bishop, the priest, you know, there's this hierarchy, right? But all of these people are speaking the truth, the word of God, all of these things. But they're all given a certain position of power to be able to give what is supposedly, you know, the truth, the word to their people. And you are supposed to inherently believe and trust in them. And I think that that's also something that is damaging. You're automatically going to listen to whatever this person says, because you've been put in a place where you are supposed to respect this authority and what they say, because they are a more godly, higher person than you are. And a lot of times when 
that authoritarian leader is speaking against part of who you are or speaking against something that you believe in, that is also what, because you believe that that person automatically is is right, right, correct? And I know this is kind of what we already just said, but for me, it was something I never really thought of as far as a hierarchical structure of authoritarianism and what it feels like to suddenly have to make your own decisions or realize the decisions that were made for you yeah. by this person that you were inherently told to trust. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting spending time with you talking about religion and then also um, Anthony's family is Catholic. He grew up Catholic, went to Catholic school and everything like that. And it is interesting, the differences and similarities yeah. between our different flavors of Christianity right, really, yeah. is, is like what it is. But one of those things is in the Catholic church, there's something very interesting about there is a intermediary between you and God. Like you need the priest yes. to communicate with God. The word of God, yeah. Right, so like that is... And you need him to con- to uh, atone your sins. Right. You know, he has the capability of, you know, you can confess to him and he can wipe all those sins clean. Which, of course, it it lends itself towards abuse. Like, yes. That's not to say that like every priest is abusive. No. But of course, there's a certain type of person who would, if they wanted to abuse authority would go into a, a job like that. Well, and that's the thing is that a lot of times abusers do look for jobs with authority exactly. for that reason. And I think that's another reason why there is such a history of abuse in religion because certain people seek out certain career paths where they're going to be put in a position Absolutely. to be able to, uh, to use their power. On the other hand, in evangelical circles... That's not how it is. Like you speak directly to God. You don't need a pastor or a reverend or someone to be an intermediary between you and God. However, it's still extremely easy to abuse your power because we are taught um, that there are very specific structures in place within the home, for instance. Right. So like within the home, it the is father always, is the leader. Right. It's always taught to us that it's God and then the father yep. and then the mother. Women and children. And then the children are are underneath the mother and that they are absolute authority. The father figure especially is absolute authority and that he is doing, he is tasked with doing God's work within the family. Yes. So he is an ultimate authority, which again can lend itself to very abusive home situations. And it's incredibly patriarchal. Yeah. <laughs> you yes. know? yeah. It's, it's maintaining yeah. it's maintaining a, a a house that or a household that doesn't necessarily exist anymore or need to exist and it's holding on to like a very old method of of living. It really like I, I read somewhere and I don't think I wrote it down, but it's like um it was talking about certain sects of religions hold on like the old testament and wanting to keep things as because that like keep things as safe as possible right. keeping it with the old testament for there's their, not too much change in the world right. you and, know and it's safe for their world exactly view. it yeah. maintains their worldview and their superiority um and it's it's just incredibly it can become incredibly harmful and so for many people religious trauma can occur on such a subtle level that people don't even realize that it's happening until they leave the system and then they can look back on it and say, wow, a lot of that stuff was really messed up and it instilled in me such a feeling of shame and fear and uncertainty. And then once you start to come out of it, and I speak of this like, I 
speak to this from personal experience, there is so much anxiety around not knowing what to put my trust in. Right. right? Like there, it, it's, it's, and also initially in the initial stages, so much anxiety around what if I've made a mistake? Yeah. What if I'm wrong? Right. Mm. You second guess yourself constantly totally even though your brain like because your your rational, your rational brain, brain is telling you that you're on the right path right yeah right? but your rational brain has been warped through years and years of gaslighting basically yeah, exactly you know? well it's interesting that you say that because there are two theories that kind of tie into this that I was reading about and that is the betrayal trauma theory and the shattered assumptions theory and the betrayal trauma theory addresses situations when people or institutions for which a person relies upon for protection resources and survival violate the trust or well-being of that person this theory acknowledges that victims unconsciously keep themselves from becoming aware of the betrayal in order to keep the belief that quote people in authority are trustworthy and shattered assumptions theory proposes that experiencing traumatic events can change how victims and survivors see themselves and the world. When those traumas are realized, you experience a shattered faith. And I think that that is something that cannot be understated. Because if you've believed in something wholeheartedly yes. your whole life, and you're realizing that something is unhealthy for you, and you're maybe trying to decide if, if you do believe in those things that you were taught, or if you don't, even just that questioning phase can really lead to this shattering of your whole faith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's also a lot of shame once you do really start to come out of it. There's a lot of shame around who you were before mm. in terms of like, because of my faith, I know that I did and said things that the me now would never do and say because right. of, because, you know, I was pro, you know, or I was anti-choice. I was anti LGBT. I was like, you know, you know, love, love the sinner, hate the sin kind of situation. Right. And it's so odd for me to even say those things out loud now because I feel like such a completely different person and there's so much shame around that and I think a lot of people feel that like looking back right. on their past sel selves and knowing that they caused harm yeah because of their religious beliefs and so yeah for people who are new here it might surprise you to know <laughs> just how just how Christian I was like, I, yeah I mean but at the same time I think you know what you're saying is I mean, when I hear you say that, I think that who you are now is who you've always been. I think so, And too. it was your conditioning. Yeah, I think so, too. And your parroting of that conditioning that made you say those things. And I think that when you're young, you don't have those same critical thinking skills to begin with. So when you're automatically told something is bad or sinful, of course, you're going to listen to the people that you trust and respect to listen to those things. But it's once you get old enough to actually have those critical thinking skills that you should be able to take a step back and say, wait, do I really believe what this is saying? Because no, that was a I, big thing for me, too. There was a lot of talk about uh, you know, the LGBTQ community growing up. I don't remember a lot of like explicit things being said, but it was a lot of innuendo. And it's oh, things yeah. that I started catching, like picking up on as I got older. And, you know, when I was 
19, 20 years old, I still considered myself to at least be Christian. Like I still believed in God. I would still go to church with my mom and all these things. But one of the last times I went to church, it was an Easter service and the the priest was talking about homosexuality in a negative way. And I was like, why are we doing this? Yeah. No, this is stupid. And I I was like, I don't want to hear this anymore. I want no part of it. Bye. You know, and looking back on it now, I truly don't actually think I ever believed those things like I I, I actually don't think I ever believed those things they were just part of the package right where it was just like if you if you consider yourself part of this group which also at the time that I was coming up if you go back and listen to our purity (laughs) culture episode at the time that we were growing up whenever we were teens and in, in adolescence it was also very popular like well this, that this was the other thing I was of- gonna say is that like I was always kind of jealous of my evangelical Christian friends because they went to the party churches like right there was live music and dancing and lasers and, and smoke and fog machines oh my gosh like- my friends went to this summer camp and I never went because I wasn't able to but they would go for like one or two weeks out into the woods and they would have the best time ever and there'd be like worship every night and they would like come home singing Christian songs for like a week and then all that would go away but I was just like man like I'm missing out on something like why did I have to be born into this lame ass like I was never part of a youth group like I feel like Catholicism for the most part is much more like individualized it's super old school because it's an old fucking religion it's not fun Right. Yeah. It's yes, you're right. It's you know what fun. I mean? So like um, for me and like the whole worked, the purity culture, the rings, the this, the that, like yeah. to me, that was like cooler. They worked well, they worked really hard yeah. to make it cool. Yeah. They there's the Christian rock songs. Very and, hard. Hillsong, all that stuff. They worked very hard to make evangelical Christianity cool. Yeah. And so a byproduct of that was that what do you do when you're a teenager? Like you want to fit in. You want to find a group that you can fit in with that makes you feel accepted. Yes. And for a lot of people, myself included, it was tied directly to the church. Yes. And the thought of leaving that, I think, is also one of the main reasons why people stay in religions that they don't feel comfortable with for as long as they do, because you don't want to lose that familial bond that you have with with that community with your church like right. that is your not only just your core belief system but it's also your core support system absolutely and I feel like religion churches in general they are known for being very like giving and helpful and if someone's like you know what I mean like and if we're gonna send casseroles when if someone's you're on the inside exactly it is like that yeah in a lot of churches right so I think it's just like an abusive relationship in some ways. And I want to say this very carefully because I still think a lot of the people who I met in church, a lot of the people who claim to be Christian, who I grew up with, did live by those principles in a yes. lot of ways and and are genuinely good people. Like I'm not sitting here being like, it's all fake. No, but we're here specifically talking about the bad stuff. We right. know that there are plenty of good yeah, stuff as yeah. well. So yeah. it's, it's not like it's all fake. However, there is this mentality of like, you are on the inside. So yeah. you do get the special treatment. You do get well, the casseroles when something happens. That's right? part of what you're meant to feel in religion as well. Because Community. like, you know, I grew up Fellowship. saying, yeah, and it's like, I believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Like I am in... I'm in the it crowd. We, the Catholic church is the one that God loves the most. 
Right. And when you're part of this group, you're good to go. Yeah. And that was something that I truly believed. I did not fully understand that there were people that weren't Catholic when I was young because I thought that was the world. I remember wondering if Judy Garland went to church every Saturday night or Sunday. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I didn't understand that. I think I always had a a very clear understanding that there were people who weren't Christian. And I think that that's more of an evangelical um, thing. It, it is. Because, because I think that's we were, part of the fear. Absolutely. We were preached to that if you aren't like this, then this is what's going to happen to you. So, yeah. of course, to go along with that, we had to have an understanding of there aren't people, there are people who aren't like this. And I feel right? like, and again, I was not part of the evangelical Christian religion. This is all purely as a spectator of things that I've watched, seen, talked to people about. But I've like seen movies on hell houses and absolutely yeah. a lot of these things where it is all so so fear based, and yes. they are kind of th almost throwing these sins in your face in a very obvious way to try to scare you against doing them. Yeah, I mean, okay. So I did reread my um, my journal yeah. from when I went on my mission before meeting. And there actually weren't a ton of passages in there that I could I could pull out. But there was one in there and I could probably pull it out and actually read it for you right now. But basically, it was me saying, you know, that after our praise and worship, we were all filled with the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, you know, people were in tears. Like it yeah. was like a, a thing, oh, I, right? I've been to those very Jesus Christian campy. rock nights. Yeah. 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 It was very Jesus camp. Oh God, Jesus camp. And yeah. Talk about that triggers my emotional trauma. Poor my Rachel. Trauma. That little girl, Rachel, in that movie. I hope she's okay. I'm uh, me too. She's probably <laughs> on TikTok talking about all this right now. Yeah. Uh, but in, in my journal, I was saying like, I went to comfort. I wanted to comfort the girls who were upset. And then I wrote, you know, I also wanted to comfort Nate and Stu, but I didn't because I was afraid that it would be mis misconstrued as too overly affectionate or overly friendly towards the opposite sex. Oh, poor you know? baby Keegan. But I was just like, can't do it. You know what I mean? Because these are the appropriate boundaries that are put in place. Yeah. And so because of that, I mean, I it, it just goes to show you, it illustrates that like, it's so rigid a box that we are putting ourselves in. I don't even remember how we got to this story, but it's, it's <laughs> yeah. so like the box is so confining that you can't even do the human thing, the empathetic thing, which to is help like another human being comfort someone else because you, the rules that are placed upon you are so strict and what what's right and what's wrong or what could perceived to be right or wrong. Right. Is so strict, especially for a young girl, I yeah. would say in religion, uh, you know, you've talked a lot about not helping your brothers in Christ, stumble or whatever the phrase is right. that you say you don't want to be a stumbling block for your brothers in Christ exactly you yeah. know and so I think that that is <laughs> so much pressure and it puts so much responsibility that the world already puts on young girls to not be you know be nice but don't be too nice be flirty right. but don't be too flirty you want to be attractive to men but you don't want to be too attractive right. to them yeah it's highlighting those things that young girls are already expected to feel in society 
and it's highlighting it through the eyes of religion even further, which is creating even more fear and anxiety for women, and for women to be wrong, right? Or to do well, what you can't makes do anything them feel right. right. Exactly, you, you can't do anything right in a situation like Especially that. Especially as a young girl, if a young boy makes a mistake, I think that that would be seen very different as a young girl making a certain mistake. Right? Yeah. I mean, and I live again because I was in a leadership position on this this Christian mission, trip, yeah. this mission that I went on, like. I live with a lot of guilt over because I felt responsible. I was I was 18 and I was put in a position of responsibility over these kids who were only a couple years younger than me. Right. right? I remember you telling a certain story about someone either like wanting to go home or like something going on and you were like helping convince them to stay. It, or I it can't wasn't what that. It was. I think the story that I told was there were two girls who were on the trip who were in my, it was called my mag group. So they were like the, my group that I was in charge of. Right. I was in charge of two groups and that was the smaller one, just, just girls. Okay. And they were wearing makeup every oh, day. Oh, it was makeup. Yeah. Yeah. They were wearing makeup every day. Um, They had formed this kind of click with the two of them. Yeah. Right. Which I had the people above me come to me and say, this is vanity. Um, you need you need to challenge them to yeah. let go of their vanity. Tell them that they are not no longer allowed to wear makeup for the rest of this trip. Um, and if they if they try to res- resist you because they were like fifteen year old girls, right? Um, then you tell them that that's the spirit of disobedience and that's the devil, right? And so I did, yeah, because of course I did. Well, and you were again, you were told by the person above you, you were doing what you were supposed to be doing. Right. And I think that like uh, there's something that I remember reading a while ago about um, Catholicism and the garb and the dress and the importance of like that symbolism in the church. And I remember getting in trouble so much because I would like paint my nails or once I had like a little crimped red streak in my hair or I would have makeup left over on my face from the skating competition over the weekend and I would get in so much trouble oh or wearing the wrong type of uniform pants god forbid but because I can see why to them that would be it's too individualized it's too vain it's caring too much about your appearance when you are all supposed to be uniform you are all supposed to look and act and be the same Right. Yeah. I mean, and if you're godly, then worldly things aren't supposed to matter. And yeah. so oftentimes, and again, it's it's very confusing messaging because oftentimes what they'll say is all of those, um, all of those materialistic type of things like dress and makeup and hair and those kinds of things are worldly things that we right. shouldn't be thinking about. However, on the flip side, they will say, oh, but when you are in a relationship when you are married um it is your duty to look good for your husband exactly and uh, and same thing with sex right you're not supposed to be a sexual being until you're married and then it is your job to satisfy the sexual needs of your husband so you can't you can't win there is just no no, you there is just how are you supposed to reconcile that right they want you to flip a switch the second you get married to be this like sexual being for your husband when all of your life you've been shamed about sex when all of your life you've been shamed about looking a certain way but you're supposed to look good and presentable and honor your husband in the way that you look let's talk more about sex i think this is a big sex and sexuality i think is a really big topic in this uh so when i grew up i learned that sex was only 
for procreation, not for pleasure. I don't remember ever. Very Catholic of you. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember ever really getting this messaging from my parents, but just in general, I remember learning this that sex is just for making babies. And I've talked about my aunt on the show before, but I have to mention it again. She has never French kissed her husband. She's never seen his penis. That is wild to me because in the evangelical church, I feel like it's very different in that like you are supposed to be like chaste, pure, virginal until you get married. And then and then you can have sex for pleasure, but only with your husband. Oh, see, and you can no. only have sexual thoughts about your husband. No, Sex for pleasure is bad. That's bad news bears. Like sex is not for pleasure. What are you talking about? It's purely for making babies. And like that's what a lot of people believe. And the other part of this is that they're like, well, abstinence is great because that's your only form of birth control, first of all, because birth control is not allowed in the Catholic Church. So and it will also save you from any sort of like STDs and STIs. They're like, don't worry. Abstinence is great. It's yeah, perfect. And you, won't, you won't need abortions. You won't need abortions. Sexual assaults and rapes and those things don't exist. So if you're if you're just abstinent, then no worries. Yeah. over here. You're good. You're yeah. good. Um, I read in an article this funny comparison where they compared um, a woman's virginity to a, pu- a purebred dog. So I wanted to read this. Very cool. Uh, No, hold on. Keep an eye on her till she's sexually mature. When she's ripe and ready, sell her. Keep her away from stray males. If one rapes her, he keeps her. You break it, you buy it. It was a satirical article. It's not real. (laughs) Your face, you were like, what? But but you know what? But it's true. That's how they're treated. It's funny because you had to tell me that was a satirical article. I know. Because I'll tell you right now, I brought... A couple of my purity books home because when I was when I was in Springfield, I right. went up into the the attic of my parents' house and I found um, these Christian purity books. Yeah, and I did bring them home. I have them in my bedroom right now. Um, and it would never be said that crassly in, right. in one of those books, but I have seen a woman's virginity be compared to everything be compared yes. to a rose with all the petals pulled off yep. of it or you know <laughs> listen to the uh uh teeth yeah recap for, for that story yeah i mean it's it's been compared to so many things that i honestly that didn't even seem that out of left field for me i was just like okay like yeah <laughs> yeah but it's true i just thought that was a very like blatant and true way of of looking at it, you know, keep an eye on till till she's sexually mature, mature, sell her away when she's finally mature enough. You know, it, it really is disturbing. Um, masturbation is also a major sin and someone with a capital S is watching you every time you get off. There are all of these old myths like you're going to grow hair on your hands or you're going to go blind, which like that sounds so mean to say that to a child, which also... Yeah, it is mean because if you hear that your whole life, how are you supposed to... So people who believe that religious trauma doesn't exist, that is trauma. Going into your adult life, not understanding how any of this works and having this much fear around something that we know is natural and biological. And even if you know you're not going to physically grow hair on your hands or go blind, that fear has been ingrained in you so long that when you go to touch yourself, you're maybe not going to feel pleasure. You're going to feel guilt. You're not going to be able to live a healthy sex life because you've been taught that this is bad. I have so many negative feelings around when I lost my virginity 
And it should not have been that way. And I'm like, it's sad for me now as an adult because I'm just like, when my mom found out, she never said anything, but because those years of conditioning and also I knew she was really upset. Yeah. And looking back on it now, I think part of what she was upset about was the deceit on my end, which is understandable for a parent. Like they don't want, you don't want your kids to be lying to you. Um, However, when you've been raised in an environment where this is seen as so bad and so big and scary, of course you're going to lie. And then the disappointment was so hard for me to deal with that I cried for like two days. And like, that's not how that's not how it should be. You want, you don't want those memories to be like that. Like, no. And it's just, it's, I, I'm so glad that the world is going into a more sex positive place for the most part where we are able to discuss our bodies and things like that. I did not even know that female masturbation was a thing until I was much older. Like I didn't know I, that female head, women getting head was a thing. Yeah, I don't think I knew that either. No, I didn't. I don't think I. Adult. I don't think I ever. I don't think I tried masturbating until I was like twenty one. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think there was a few mistakes in there, like in a hot tub, where I was like, "Ooh, that feels Ooh. good." Why? <laughs> but other than that, like I wasn't. I wasn't wanting to go down there. I had weird. I had weird vibes with my vagina when I was younger. In general, I was like, "We don't need to be pals." That's yeah. changed now. We're fine. Like we've we've kissed and made up, not literally, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, be, that would be impressive if I could, though. Truly, <laughs> but like all of this leads to feelings of sexual repression yeah. as as you get older, and you might not think that that's a big deal, but it actually is. It can cause a lot of intimacy problems um, with partners. It's just it's overall not good yeah it's also very confusing and I want to tie it back to Catholicism for a quick second because there is such rampant sexual abuse in the Catholic Church that at one point you are being taught that anything to do with sex in your bodies is sinful and harmful but then at the same time the person who was teaching you that or at least someone who was in some form of authority is also the same person that is like giving you the same treatment that they said was sinful. So when a priest molests a young altar boy, there is that confusion in their heads where they've, you were the one that told me this is wrong and now you're doing it to me and you're telling me it's okay and I shouldn't tell anybody. That adds a whole nother level to the sexual abuse and the power that these religious leaders have over people. And that's why in Catholicism in particular, that type of sexual abuse has been so rampant for so long. Yeah, I mean, and similarly, and again, we talked about a lot of this in our purity culture episode. Um, Similarly, in other churches, there is, if you have this concept of women being responsible for the sexual impulses of men, then no matter what happens, if, if it's happening to a woman, so, you know, just if it's happening to a woman, no matter what happens, it's her fault. Yep. It doesn't matter, you know, if she's uh, been been raped. It doesn't matter. Um, there's also a really good, like, several parter of Behind the Bastards talking about the Baptist church in particular and everything going on behind the scenes there because there was a lot, there were so many videos coming out recently about particularly the Southern Baptist church and the way that they have mishandled sexual assault allegations yeah um, child sex abuse allegations basically 
having them go and confess their sins in front of the congregation and then having the entire congregation forgive them. Um, because at the end of the day, it's more about... You're atoning for your sins. And it's about, well, it's okay that he did this one thing because he apologized for it and we should forgive him because he's winning souls for Christ. And ultimately, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Well, and that's another reason why, you know, if you've watched The Keepers on Netflix or if you've watched, um, what was the Boston Globe movie... Oh, Rachel McAdams. Yes, I can't remember. It? But uh, Spotlight, so Spotlight. Spotlight. Uh, if you've if you've watched any of those things, you know that a lot of times these leaders are just kind of like moved around from place to place oh, yeah. so that they're yeah. not detected. Yeah. I actually doing the research for this episode. I googled some old priests. I was aware that um, a priest named Father Fitzpatrick at St. Rose of Lima Church in Roseville, Minnesota, calling you out, um, was accused of sexual misconduct and was like pulled from the church, but then they let him back in. And Father Serba, who was my priest growing up, apparently was in some, he's a bishop now, so he's even higher up in the ranks, but he's in Duluth, Minnesota, and he was um, in trouble for covering up a lot of those allegations, and he is now trying to, he's, he helped with some list that has been released with former predators and things like that, so it sounds like he's trying to do the right thing now, whatever, but um, it's it's really upsetting to think about a lot of the people, like I loved Father Serba growing up too, sure. and I also really loved of course, Father yeah. Fitzpatrick's, uh, like he was like a musical theater guy, you know, like he was really fun and exciting, but it is like I had to check, I was like let me Google these people mm-hmm. and see what's up. Which is a pretty messed up system whenever you have to think like that, yeah. you know. So while we're on the subject of sex, I do think that we've, we've touched on it just a little bit, but we do need to address the trauma of countless non-straight people yeah. um, within within religious systems. Again, I, I realize that this conversation that we are having is focused mostly on Christianity because that's our experience. Right. Um, but this, of course, is not something that's unique. A lot of what we're talking about right now, most of what we're talking about is not unique to just Christianity or no. Christian religion. And I truly believe that most religions when you really boil it down, are teaching a lot of the same things. It's just different deities, different ideas, things like that. So while we can't speak on every religion, we can speak from where we're coming from. But I do think that when you follow this kind of like construct of religious hierarchy, it can happen in any sort of group like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we we did touch on it already, but responses that range from you're going to hell for being gay or being questioning your gender identity or any of those things, um, which of course is probably one of the most extreme on, on the most extreme and side. it's also just like it's one of the most like well-known things yeah I you're going like. to yeah. hell um god hates you like yeah. those kinds of things um but even the lesser things the things that maybe i would have uh, would have been more likely to say which is that homosexuality is a choice and it's still a sin and you you love the sinner but you hate the sin like those kinds of things regardless of whatever package it's tied up in it, the message is still extremely clear, which yeah. is that being gay is bad and you are bad and bad things will happen to you. Yeah. Right? And there's a lot of weaponizing Bible quotes and verses when doing this as well. Like I know I've done a lot of Googling of like, 
when do they talk about homosexuality in the Bible? And I Googled it this week. And apparently the word homosexual was not coined until the 19th century. Oh, no, it's all bullshit. Yeah. All of that stuff. There was actually a really good documentary. I cannot remember the name of it. If I do, I will put it in the show notes. But there was a documentary that was on Netflix for a long time. And it was specifically dealing with religious families, interviewing them, talking to them um, and their children who were gay. And yeah. like, they, they interviewed them separately and mm. had different conversations. Um, and that was so much of it is like so many parents would point to these Bible verses and then they'd have people come in and say, actually, like these are not. <laughs> yeah, it's not well, it's not real. It's all just to justify the fact that this you don't like this thing that yeah. someone's doing. I wanted to give a couple examples just because they're probably the most used examples of verses from the Bible. Um, in Genesis, when they're talking about how God created man and created the earth, I read, oh, by the way, a lot of this, all of this that I'm about to say is from the um, is from the human rights campaign, hrc.org website. The Bible states that God, quote, began with creating human beings of male and female sex. But this doesn't mean that God only produced this binary. And I think that that's an important distinction to make. He began by making man and woman. It isn't saying that there wasn't anything beyond that. Also, the Bible states, man must not lie with man. But according to the hrc.org website, this verse is more likely referring to a society who was anxious about their health and family lineage and retaining the distinctiveness of Israel as a nation rather than being about homosexuality being a sin. It was more about like, we got to keep procreating everybody. And (laughs) and there, there are also biblical scholars that will say that the language of that verse has been changed and that it's it more likely is condemning pedophilia yes uh pederasty is what i was reading which is like when you know older men go for younger men the last one i'll talk about is the quote or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves shall inherit the kingdom of god and again this also kind of is suggested that it is talking about more sexual crimes rather than sexuality in general and there's also a lot of words that are used in the bible that don't really exist today and they're not really even real latin words it's kind of like how we have slang and lingo that we use so we can't really like give a definite definition to some of the words that are used in the bible because we don't truly know their meaning yeah exactly it's all interpreted i know that's part (laughs) of the problem with the bible okay let's take a quick break and when we come back do you want to talk a little bit about original sin let's do it okay As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. 
Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about original sin. So we've already talked about the idea of hell and how that can cause religious trauma um, because you have this idea of you have this threat looming over you uh, at all times. And it's kind of at odds with this idea of a loving and forgiving God. And how do you, you know, come to terms with those two things? So related to the idea of hell, original sin ensures that fear, shame and guilt motivate our behavior. Uh So original sin means that we are sinful from the very moment that we are born. This is something that was driven into me and it is only the blood of Christ that cleanses you of your natural born original sin right that is why so I was baptized at like six months or something but when I went to my like super Latin mass Christian middle school Catholic middle school there was a kid in my class who was like one of 13 and when his newest sibling was born literally the next morning the class was invited to this child's baptism it wasn't a whole party it wasn't anything but they were like if this baby dies it has to go to heaven. And the only way for that to happen is for this child to be baptized. That's the only way to cleanse it from its original sin. And so we must get them baptized now. That's interesting, too, because that is a difference between Catholicism and uh, and Protestantism or evangelical Christianity is that in most Protestant religions, you have to be old enough to make a choice. Exactly. Yeah. You have and to that choose. was something so crazy to yeah. me when I was older, but it makes more sense that you would choose whether or not yeah, to you, be a part of a religion or not. A big part of it is it was called, I remember this from vacation Bible, Bible study. It was ABCs, which is like, accept that Jesus is Lord, believe in him. And I can't remember Convert? What, what the C was, but it was, it was, you had to choose. I think I was baptized at like eight years old Yeah, in the Baptist church. So I was actually like fully submerged 
And so <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I was fully submerged. Fully submerged. <laughs> well, it's seriously like they have a big tank at the front of the church. You That's have to wear so a, weird. a white robe and they duck you. Yeah. Duck oh, no, you. I know. It's just yeah. it's so it, like that. Also, the whole show of it is bizarre to me. But I think that that makes a lot more sense because you're letting somebody agree to join I, a religion. I and it's I mean, been weird to me that you you baptize babies. They didn't. Well, we have sacraments that. as well. So like when I was born, I was baptized when I was in second grade I got my first communion and then when I was in fifth grade oh when I was in fifth grade I got my reconciliation confession and then in eighth grade I was confirmed and your confirmation is like when you are kind of like as a grown-up choosing that you truly are solidified within this religion so it is kind of like a set of stages I believe and I'm not religious I don't know much about Catholicism really but I believe baptism is purely to get rid of your original sins that you can get to heaven interesting and then once you're old enough to be able to take the body and blood of christ that is yet another sacrament that you take part of and then confession so on and so forth it sounds very complicated and time consuming and exhausting i mean i went to catholic school so i didn't have to take any religion classes outside of school and that was something very important to my mom like i was legit being like beat up at school and my mom was like you gotta stay till you get confirmed and then i'll let you leave because i'm not signing you up for classes outside of school jesus (laughs) well okay so original sin we are sinful from the very moment we are born. And yeah. so because of this, not only do we have this fear of hell if you don't live your life right, okay, but also this idea of original sin means that we all deserve hell. Like that is that is something that is ground in or was ground in to me was that like, I, I had this constant messaging, Lord, I don't deserve you mm. because we all deserve hell because we were born bad. We were born sinful. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah, yeah. And so... Because I thought about it in just like, you're you're better than me, not in so much like I deserve bad. But that's a very interesting way of thinking about it. Through God's love and grace that we are saved, right? So you owe him. You owe him everything. Yeah. Right? And and if anything So every thought, action, movement, anything has to be within... Right. With God in mind. Yes. Yeah. So it's only through his grace that you can avoid the punishment that you deserve as as a person who was just born. You You were born a human. So you are innately bad. Right. So it plants this sense of shame in you. Like you have this deep sense of, of shame that you are bad, that you are unworthy and that this is your natural state, that you were born bad and unworthy. So we know that psychologically, of course, if any parent was was saying that to a child that they were that born would be bad, abuse it would feel abusive and neglectful um to a person's and it would be very bad for a person's psychological state and it's no different if you are born and raised in um, a religion that says the same thing right so the last thing that i think we should talk about that can give you trauma within this specific kind of religious worldview that we are talking about and it's something that you already touched on and that is high control systems so many systems especially towards the fundamentalist side of the religious spectrum tend to be high control uh purity culture is an example of something that is high control um a lot of those things that we already discussed in terms of like household dynamics where it's like 
Jesus, and then the father, and then the mother, and then the children, those are, are all very high control environments. So children are expected to listen, obey, and not question their parents. Right. And same thing with religious figures. You are expected to simply obey without questioning anything. And, and no one is perfect. So the fact that a person who is not perfect is leading you is never really put into the equation. Right. And it also, it leads people to believe that they need to perform correctly mm, in yeah. order to receive love. Yeah. Which can lead people to not be able to accept love uh, when they grow up and to not be able to trust other people. Right. So that is absolutely something that I think that we we don't talk about enough in adults that like that that is part of what religious trauma looks like exactly not being able to um function (laughs) yeah as an adult who believes they're deserving of of love yeah i did also just want to touch on very quickly other types of religious abuse these are all kinds of like forms of complex trauma that can happen over time. We've already touched on sexual abuse. There is also, of course, religious systems that might function more cult-like. Yes. If you want to talk about like fundamentalist, uh, you know, FLDS, fundamentalist, Latter-day Saints, those types of things that are high, high, high control to the point of cult status. Yeah. Um, Lots of people will talk about their religious trauma in those terms as well. And I think that that makes a lot of sense because I'm, I'm not here to say that religions and cults are the same necessarily, but I think that... Well, it was their religion, so... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, I, but I think that a lot of the takeaways can be very similar yeah. from yeah. someone who's experienced trauma. A lot of this is reminding me of when we talk about our women in cults episodes and leaving yeah. that and the lack of trust you feel in yourself. Because they, they are very... Because, you know, religion and worldviews have a lot of overlap. So whether or not you believe it's your religion, which FLDS, of course, is a religion, but there are also, you know, groups that are not religious that are cult groups, but it's very similar. It's it's broad, but I feel like a lot of the abuse is very similar. Yes. Yeah. The responses are very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So there's also religious trauma syndrome. And so there's experiencing religious trauma and then there is what, we have called or what has been coined religious trauma syndrome. So it's not an actual diagnosis that's included in the DSM-5. However, it doesn't mean that it is non-existent or doesn't impact people, which it absolutely does. So here are some symptoms of religious trauma syndrome, which again, we've already covered most of these, but poor critical thinking skills, difficulty making decisions, decreased sense of self-worth, difficulty building strong relationships, being unfamiliar with mainstream culture slash isolation, struggling with fitting in and belonging, nightmares, sleeping issues, eating issues, sexual dysfunction, anxiety symptoms, depression symptoms, grief symptoms, and loneliness. I actually have a few more as well, and I'm sorry, I'll edit out if I repeat any of them. No, no problem. Go ahead. There is also negative beliefs about self, others, and the world, lack of pleasure or interest in things you used to enjoy, a loss of community, family, friends, romantic partners, feelings of isolation or like you don't belong, black and white thinking, irrational beliefs, low self-esteem, difficulty trusting themselves or others, feeling indebted to a group of people, Chronic fear or anxiety around salvation, hell, rapture, Satan, etc. Perfectionism slash hypervigilance. Extreme dualistic thinking. Everything is either good or bad, black and white. 
Definitely. Another one is spiritual bypassing, which we haven't discussed, which is denying the presence of mental health issues due to a belief yes. that those feelings come from a lack of faith or the devil and they can pray it away. Yes, 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 yes. There is, like you said, difficulty experiencing pleasure. And then some kind of side notes to that is like feeling wrong for having sexual desires or your biological responses to arousal. And you may also experience dissociation from your body. And it can also include denying your sexuality. And then we didn't get into this because I think it would be a whole other episode. But another thing that um, people with religious trauma who are part of the LGBTQIA plus community, uh, a lot of them have gone through some sort of like conversion therapy yeah. and things like that, which leads to another whole host of side effects and problems. It doesn't fucking work. Right. And yes. it's abuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's absolutely abuse. And also religious bypass, I think, can very often be directed towards people who are part of the LGBTQIA community yep. in that there's pray a Pray the gay away. Yeah, pray the gay away. And then there's also a lot of shame around like you have a disease or an illness because you have been sinful and unholy. Yeah. You saw a lot of that, a lot of Christian groups saying similar things to that. You see it now with well, like and I was gonna say pox, you yeah, know? And I, I was going to mention AIDS. Exactly. You know, I feel like there are all of these different things that have happened that a lot of times certain religions will like to point to, to say that like, look, this is why this is degenerate this is God's and wrong. punishment. And there's also, you. you know, we were talking about such strict rules around sex in general. Anything, at, at least for the Catholic church, anything that is not sex for babies is fornication. And that's not allowed. And so I think for a lot of people, there is such a hyper focus on sex with people who are, you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual, any other sexuality besides straight. And I almost think that because we focus on the sex part of it so much, it makes it seem dirtier and grosser Absolutely. than it is. You know what I mean? I think that there's this fear of, you know, sodomy and these unhealthy sexual acts that we attribute to people in that community. Or just something that you don't understand. So in that documentary that I was talking about, they did interview one mother who did say at the end of it, she like I came to understand or my feelings now are that I felt bad about what they were doing because I kept picturing the sex acts like not the relationship not exactly. the love not anything else and and it's not even that the you know it's not even that the sex acts are there's anything wrong or bad or dirty about those things no but it's, it's that but it's they different don't understand it and so they in their minds are are they're, they're freaked scared out of it. by yeah. something that they don't understand and they're hyper fixating on, on the that. sex. On and, that, and I think that that's something that is really, really common when you talk to people who are like scared of gay people. You yeah. know what I mean? It's it's because... Why, why are you picturing them having sex? Why it's picture weird. them doing it? It's don't weird. do that. Like, especially for like a mother, it's like, would you picture your straight Ever. son having sex with his girlfriend? Fact, I hope not. The way straight people with impunity... Straight people, get it together. With impunity will sit there at the dinner table and be like Trevor and I are trying for a baby it's like right I, what like I'm where everyone's like yay and it's we're like, fucking nightly yeah, exactly <laughs> like it's it's actually super weird so with that list of religious trauma symptoms if you grew up in a religiously abusive organization or community or not even abusive necessarily in the way that we typically think of abuse, but right. that complex trauma that we were talking about of over time experiencing all of these things. It can be really challenging to break away from those beliefs 
and traditions. And as a result, there can be significant mental and emotional anguish and a lot of cognitive dissonance that occurs for a lot of people between what you've been taught in childhood and what you have learned through your own research and your own personal exploration. Your own life experiences. I experienced so much of that. And so you may find it difficult to trust others and trust yourself due to this. And there's also, we've touched on this, but the trauma of leaving the church Mm -hmm. and what that means for you and your family. And it was very difficult for me with my family. Even now, I mean, (laughs) my parents will want me to say grace at the dinner table and things like that. And I'll want to do it just to appease them, but I don't believe in these things anymore. And so it does make me feel somewhat uncomfortable. But even given that, I still am fairly safe. Like it's hard for me and I am in a, in a safe environment, right? For the most part, there are people who find themselves without a place to go. Yeah. Who, when they leave their religion, they are shunned from their community. They are shunned from all of the people who are right. supposed to love them and everything that they know. That can be difficult. They might lose family, friends, extended network of individuals that they had felt. I mean, even romantic to. partners, you yes. know, like, yeah. Yeah. And it, and so because of that, it can become really common to lose your sense of self and your identity as you learn that most of the things that you knew to be true and you believed in and made up the core of your identity as it pertains to your religion and faith now feel untrue to you. Yeah, it's I've never had any shame from my mom for not believing in God anymore well she did say that she's sad for me when I told her I don't believe in God anymore and I was like well that's fine like I don't I don't believe in him so I'm not missing anything I have other beliefs and things like that but it is I think very hard for people to wrap their heads around the concept of you not believing anymore or you not feeling the same way as them when it is such an innate well part of who they are I do think having come from that community I do think that it's deeper than that for them. I think for my f- family, I mean, it makes sense. Well, they worry religious. for you. They they worry for your everlasting soul. Yeah, they're like, well, Keegan's going to burn in hell while right, the rest of which, us are in heaven together. Which, I mean, that's something that becomes difficult too whenever you've left left something like this is that I know that as as traumatizing as it is for me and as bad as it can feel for me and as much as I don't want them to try and push and push and push at me that in their minds they are trying to help me yes right because like they genuinely think that like if I don't believe in this thing I am going you're gonna be hurt really bad is going to happen to me and that's really sad for them as well because they believe that so much and they love you and they love me you know what I mean that's the thing that it's hard for them to reconcile as well And so I have empathy for that because I do understand that yeah I believed that completely so I have a lot of empathy for it but I also know that for me it doesn't I just it doesn't I, I, I can't once I've once I made that disconnect in my brain, I can't reconnect. You can't it. pretend it. Yeah, and so I what I will say is if you're wondering where I'm at now, <laughs> spiritually or religiously, I I do and I don't want to be this like person in LA. I do consider myself to be a spiritual person. I right. feel like I'm connected to my fellow living 
beings right like, i feel like we are we are i believe connected. that like a soul is a thing that there right. is something deeper than I do too. our blood flesh and guts you know what yeah, i mean and i do I, too exactly and so i i do consider i do feel like there are things that we can rely on that i don't think it's sad without religion i don't think no. it's sad without Jesus. i have other things to rely on that make me feel comfortable and a lot of that is living in authenticity for me personally. I think that as long as I am making decisions that make me feel right and I'm doing things with my life that make me feel right, then I'm living correctly. Yeah, I mean, it. also for me, I think discovering, like really trying to strive to live a life of understanding yeah. and compassion and empathy for those around you that to me feels more authentic. That than, isn't tied to a religious right. doctrine either. That isn't just tied to do unto others as you would want it done to you. It, it feel, And I think that using the word authenticity ties to that as well because yes. it isn't doing something because you believe you're supposed to or you should or because you're following certain rules. It's doing something because it truly yes. jives I, with what your heart wants. It feels authentic to me. Yeah. And so with that said, if... If, if you made it all the way through this episode and you are a religious person, if that feels good and true and authentic to you and it makes you feel happy and you are part of a loving community and you are doing good things in your church and with your community, I'm so happy for you. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you found something in your life that works. I'm not here to judge anyone's life. No. I'm just here to... to for, I wanted to do this episode just to talk about my own personal experience for anybody who might have similar experiences. I, I know a lot of people who, I'll, whenever I mention anything on this topic, will have a lot to say. And I think that even people who are still in religion or had positive experiences can still look at a lot of these things and see where maybe maybe some changes need to be made. Yeah, I mean, maybe I some help needs to be done. Both, you know, both things can be true, right? Yeah. Like, there can you can be a religion that has been very helpful for you and that you take a lot of comfort in and that you still um, enjoy participating in and you can still recognize that because of the structures at play within a lot of religions because of the way they are structurally made up that there's going to be a lot of trauma involved for other people, yeah. maybe who, people who were in different churches or yeah. or whatever, just or, because or of the were way different it's set up. types of individuals where the teachings didn't match up with who they were as people. You know, I think that it just has to be an understanding that everybody is different and something different is going to work for everybody as well. And I think that something that's been really helpful for me, another quick sidebar when I was at a wedding in Jersey this past month, it was a Catholic wedding. I had to go into Catholic church during pride month. It was terrible, but, um, yeah, you texted me about it. You're like, Oh no, God damn it. But, um, when communion came, Max was like, we have to go. And I'm like, no, it's actually more disrespectful. If we take communion, if you fake then it. if we sit here, yeah. you, know, you can go and you, if you cross your arms over your chest and you bow, the priest can give you a blessing. I was like, if you want to go up, you can do that. Luckily, our whole row stayed seat, stayed seated so we didn't feel awkward or anything but there was a moment of fear where he was like what do we do and I was like you know what I was always taught that it's more respectful 
to just let everyone else do their thing, to just not be involved. You don't need to, like, I would feel, I've done it since I stopped calling myself a Catholic. I've taken communion. But it does feel really wrong to me because I don't believe it. And it's not so much about me not believing in it, but more because I want to respect this everybody is else. sacred to other people. Exactly. And, and I do respect that for other people. Yes. I, I just feel like we need to allow grace for yep. other people to make different choices. I just choices. want that back at me. Exactly. <laughs> other people are going to make different choices and we shouldn't, you know, we should support that journey for them. I understand that's very difficult because of what we just said that like for people who believe in it, this, it's not something they feel like they can sit on their laurels about. It's yeah. not something that they feel like they cannot tell you about because it's so important to them and their belief system. So I, I do understand it, but at the same time, I feel so much more at peace. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I never miss the comfort of religion because oh I do. Gosh. Like there, there are times. Yeah. There are times I, I'm still, I still have depression. I still have anxiety. There are times when I wish I could lean into that comfort yeah. of, of prayer and oh, religion. I was going to say prayer for me was a big one yes. growing up. It was but, something I did before bed. It was same. comforting. Yeah. But, but, and I still find myself if I'm in a situation wanting. I was going to gonna ask you that prayer. question. Yes. Is that is that an instinct? Because for me, if I'm ever going to do something scary, yes. it's my instinct to pray before, just in case I die. I want to go to heaven. Yeah, or if anything happens where I'm just like, my first instinct is to go, please God, yeah. help me with this thing because and because of how we were conditioned, because of how as we well. were raised, yeah. right? And and there is a lot of comfort in that. But even with all of that, even with feeling like I'm I'm I miss that sometimes, I feel more authentically myself, not not doing it. Yeah, and I never ever ever like if you read my journals you would never think that that girl would ever get to this place yeah where I am right now because I it, it was everything it was everything to yeah me, you know and it's yeah. just it's just not it's just not who I am now so yeah. also just know that like just things, know that. <laughs> things change yeah like you will change and all versions of yourself are are okay listen to who you think that you are yep um and go with that. That's truly how I feel. But. Yeah, 100%. Well, I have a feeling that there are listeners who have had similar experiences to us, whether it be in religion, a cult-like group, any sort of authoritarian group. Um, if there's anything that you wanted to add to this episode or wanted to share with us, you can go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminists at gmail.com. We would absolutely love to hear from you. You can also direct message us and follow us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. Last but not least, if you haven't done so already, please go to your Apple Podcast app and leave us a five-star review a quick sentence about why you enjoyed the show. All right, that's all we got for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rate down. Bye. So you've heard of Florida Man, but what about Florida Chupacabra? That's right, the urban legend is real and lurking in the Everglades in the new horror comedy show from Realm, Low Life. Low Life follows a chupacabra exterminator in South Florida who becomes unlikely allies with a marine biology student when a standard house call goes horribly wrong. It looks like there's a new monster in their midst, but there's more than one secret hiding in the swamp. 
Lowlife is a funny, twisty mystery that also has some pretty scathing commentary on corporate elitism and eco-fascism. So you're in for a wild ride and some razor-toothed chupacabras. Listen and subscribe to Lowlife wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at realm.fm.